the World Football Index, the only podcast where a discussion Liverpool versus City is actually about a mid-table game in the Uruguayan Primera. I'm your host, Tom Robinson, and joining me for a look at the first two rounds of the Libertadores group stage are Adam Branham in Chile and Mike Rice in Peru. Adam, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Very much enjoyed your intro there, Tom. Very nice work. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm picking up, picking up this lark at the moment, but uh, yeah, obviously still still a way to go to meet the levels that you you previously set. <laughs> and, that phase uh, aren't particularly high. I don't think you have too much to worry about. It. <laughs> and Mike, how are things with you over in over there in Peru? Really good, thanks, mate. Really good. Uh, yeah, enjoying enjoying your uh, your intros there. <laughs> and uh, uh, comparing them with Adams from uh, from previous times. <laughs> Um, so let's jump straight into things Um, and what's this I see in Group F do do my eyes deceive me a Chilean team with six points from two games Adam just how good has has Colo Colo start to the tournament been yeah this has been sort of uh, a pleasant development I won't say a surprise um, because I think the last time I was on this pod you know I was fairly bullish about Colo Colo's chances of getting out this group. And I did mention that the kind of a real key game for them was that first one against Fortaleza away. Um, my hope for that was that they avoided defeat. Um, and I, yeah, they went a lot better than that. They, they completely outplayed um, the Brazilians and, uh, and they fully deserved their, their 2-1 win. Um, and yeah, they followed that up with another 2-1 win against uh, Alianza Lima. Uh, that should have been a far more comfortable victory than it was, um, for, especially for their dominance for the, for the sort of first hour of that match. Um, but yeah, I think this Colo Colo side is possibly the strongest we've seen in Chile since San Paoli's Universidad de Chile. Um, from about 10 years ago now. Um, you know, Universidad Católica have won the last four titles in, in Chile, but I don't feel they've ever had quite um, the, the competitive and uh, competitive quality that Colo Colo possess in this squad, sort of throughout the spine of the side, um, experience and... Uh, and, and yeah, real fighting quality. And I, and I think, you know, I've, I think I said on the last pod, you know, that they're a potential quarter finalist. And uh, on the evidence so far, I, I think that's a solid prediction. That my, my only worry is, is that just before I moved to, in the sort of a few years before I moved to Chile, I, I am aware that Colocon had this little bit of this reputation of like getting off to really good starts in their Libertadores groups or or giving themselves like this sort of cushion and then sort of blowing it in sort of the, the second round of games. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that side of the history. But overall, Quinteros has done a brilliant job and this Colo Colo side are, are brilliantly balanced, I think. Balanced is the word I really like to use to describe them. Um, they're not overly reliant on one kind of, start you know but they don't pass it for passing sake kind of thing but you know they're not overly reliant on on dribbling um although pablo salari has uh, has been one of the stars of the show so far without a doubt gabriel costa on the other wing has been has been excellent too i'm sure uh, mike can take a positive from that from the peruvian perspective and um and yeah, it's uh, Lucero up front has, has, has been you know exactly what Colo Colo have needed for years really in the, in that in that position since Paredes left. So so yeah, it's uh, yeah it's it's been it's been a really promising start from Colo Colo, and yeah, just fingers crossed that they can keep it going. Uh, joint top of the league in Chile, um, and uh, and yeah, things uh, things are looking pretty good overall for. Yeah, that, that Lucero signing, uh, as you mentioned, I, I think has been a really, really key one. He was he was great in, in the game against Alianza Lima and he was someone who I always liked at Velez as well. So the fact that they could they could get a 
a striker at this level who is a proven goal scorer, I think, is, is, yeah. is a real benefit um, for them. It's as you said, he just adds that that to that balance that the team's got. You mentioned, I think that's a perfect way to describe them, and, and he's such a good. Well, sort of a focal point to build around, but he he's someone who just does link it all together well and provides that goal for it. Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, he he came in when Blandy left, and uh, Blandy there's a lot of expect expectation on him given his record over there in Argentina, especially with San Lorenzo, pretty good on paper, but yeah, he was an absolute disaster at Colo Colo. So um, yeah. Lucero has come in and yeah has instantly become one of the favourites with the fans and yeah that that midfield behind him of of Pavez and Gil is is very very solid indeed and uh, and yeah the the performances of the fullbacks um, especially Gabriel Suazo has been uh, has been fantastic as well Suazo is you know in the form of his career right now. And uh, yeah, that's great to see, not only for Colo Colo fans, but for followers of the Chilean national team as well. Because if Suazo, you know, can keep his form going in sort of his late twenties, then you know he he had that left back spot, I think, locked down. I think in the in the Chilean national side as well. Yeah, good to see Colo Colo off to a flyer. But uh, as you said there, let's not get too carried away because uh, there's still a lot of games to play. And and Mike from from the other side of the coin there, it's, it's been a slightly different tale for Alianza Lima with, with two defeats in their two games. What do you make of Los Blanquiazules after after these two matches? Well, I, to be honest, I was, like, I was quite impressed with how they played, um, especially against River Plate um, in the game beforehand. Um, to only uh, to only lose that just by the one goal um, for 80, 80 minutes, I'd have thought they'd they defended incredibly well, made it really hard for um, for River Plate to really find too many like clear cut opportunities, and they made quite a few themselves. Um, the the issue I think they've been having, especially when going into this Colo Colo game, which we thought would be a more there's no expectation really to win, but there's there's a little bit more of a more of a chance you'd probably say compared to against River Plate. Um, obviously, Colo Colo on. Great form, and that the, the issue was Alianza won um, in the league. Um, we had some issues, obviously. There's a bit of um, issues here in Peru, which forced their game beforehand against Huancayo to be called off. And they've had a couple of, they had a, quite a bit of time without a game in, um, coming up to this Colo Colo um, Colo Colo match, uh, where it seems like Bustos, the manager, has been working on a new formation, like a change of. Um, change of system which he just didn't seem to I don't, I don't know if it's the right word but maybe just didn't quite have the courage to go with again um, where he's changed from this sort of back three very defensive counter-attacking style um, where he's going back to a back four but he's pushing on um, Hydro Concha uh, a little bit further forward to join in with that attack which when when going with a sort of a counter-attacking style uh, with Barcos up front is a is a decent striker um, but He's uh, coming up to 38 years old, a big guy that can't, he's not not particularly mobile. So it can be quite difficult at times to really get him involved in some of the counter-attacks. Um, so I, I, I thought, considering how Kodoko have been playing in the league, I thought it was a pretty even game through, through a lot of it. Um, but they just showed the form they've got and that little bit of extra quality. But I... I it's, it's it's two defeats for Alianza, but I don't think, from my side personally, and I think from realistically Alianza fans, they'd be quite impressed with um, the performances so far. Not so much the the performances of Alder Rodriguez though after his uh, his challenge on on Robert Rojas there in, in the River the game. That oh, I imagine horrible, and he he came on as a sub and he had a great chance. He got in behind Rojas. Um, There's a great um, great ball over the top by Vilches, um, who moved from centre-back to left-back when they went to a back four. And he had a chance to even it up, and Armani made a great save. And then just minutes later, he's rushing for the ball, and it was just a, it was just a disgusting kick at him, and it's a terrible injury. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just awful. Yeah, no, not, not what we like to see. Um, but, um, yeah, certainly... Now you've just got to look at those those games against Fortaleza and and really hope that they can pick up some some points there because 
um yeah they've definitely got a bit of a, a hill to, to to climb now river looking very good in this group i must say um enzo fernandez in particular has just been on a, on a different level this year i think it's sort of seven goals and assists um in sort of 12 or 13 games for him now and he's really stepping up from the, the very high level that he'd set already and uh yeah river I think eight wins from their last nine now so they're still going to be the favorites for this group f and um uh yeah Colo Colo making a great start um but obviously as we've said be foolish to say this is done and dusted just yet so moving on to group g uh we had one of the standout ties in the first round being the asuncion classico between cerro porteño and olympia didn't quite live up to its billing with a nil all draw but as we expected the group is shaping up to be quite interesting with Cerro Porteño top with four points, Peñarol and Colón on three points each and Olympia bringing up the rear with one point. Mike I'll come back to you have, have you what have you made of this group so far? Yeah it's an interesting one um how um uh, the, how it all got, like, got off to the start. And Peñarol, since obviously losing Facu Torres um, up to Olympia, and Agustin Alvarez hasn't scored this season after the two of the um, who were two sort of focal points for their performances last year. It's against it seems going to be, it seems like it could be quite difficult for Peñarol to, to sort of keep up, but um, if, to be competing for those two spots, especially if Colón um, are, are performing well and. I feel a bit sorry for Olympia. It's been a long, long, um, it's a long road to the uh, group stages from the opening um, qualifying game. But I think I've, with the still to have that point to go into these next few games in, the, in a decent position to um, to be able to be competing. I think it looks like Jero Potenio have got the got the emot- the um, momentum at the moment to really be to be challenging to be taking one of those top two spots to be going through. I think and then. I would be surprised if it wasn't Colón, but um, it will depending on how the others start performing in front of goal, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cedro playing some, some really nice stuff in the league at the moment, and, and obviously they've got that advantage at the moment. But even just looking at their game against Colón, it was kind of two set pieces and a, and a bit of a howler from, from Colón that, that made that scoreline perhaps look a, a little bit better than, than it actually was. I, I feel like, yeah, this group, it's probably going to be people taking points off off each other, and it's it's probably one of the the hardest ones to predict, wouldn't you say, Adam? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, as as many people have kind of commented on, it's uh, it's pretty evenly matched, and uh, I think uh, from what I've seen so far, um, Sarah Potenia certainly deserved to be top of it after after two games. Um, but yeah, I think there's a there's a long way to go, and as as you just mentioned there, I'm pretty sure the teams will be will continue to sort of take points off each other, and um, with Olympia's history in, in sort of the competition as well, I'm sure uh, I'm sure they won't uh, they won't go down. Um, they, what, what, what's the phrase I'm trying to find? Down without a fight, maybe. Down without a fight. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I forgot English there for a little bit, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's the phrase. Yeah, for, they won't go down without a fight. Um, yeah, definitely not a team you want to write off based on their their performances in the qualifiers as well. Yeah, exactly. They they showed they you know they showed their competitive spirit and nature in that very much. So yeah, I, I still expect them to to have a real say in this group, even though they're bottom at the moment. Yeah, all to play for there and some, some big matches coming up, which group, as we said, could go anyway there. But one from one tight group to, to a, another that already seems something of a formality, reigning champions Palmeiras have been in imperious form, cruising to the top of Group A with six points, 12 goals scored and only one conceded. Adam, can, can anyone stop them? Um, well, I, th- I think it's pretty clear that they that they run away with this group. Uh, the interesting thing in this group is is who comes second, really, and um, and yeah, that that is certainly something which is 
which is still wide open, seemingly. Um, apart from Palmeiras, I haven't seen much of the other three sides in this group, so I'm going to put it back to you, Tom. Who who do you think uh, is going to come out this this group in second? Well, I mean, my sort of default would be to, to look at Emelec with you know the history they've got, maybe a slightly stronger team. You know, they've, they've got a good point away in Bolivia there, but would have expected to beat Tachida at home. So I, I think that Emelec maybe aren't quite as strong as I was expecting them to be. You know, sitting in second place there with two points from, from their two games. And then you've got Tachida and, and Independiente Petrolero with one point apiece. So it's it's really tight there. It's And it's definitely going to be among those those guys scrapping it out. I, I thought... I think Tatra have a really good chance of, of getting out um, of this group because, you know, they've they've got some good young players there. Chacon obviously getting a goal and, and getting a, a decent point away in Ecuador shows that um, that they're going to be a side that are going to be tough to tough to break down. But yeah, it's um, it's all to play for. I think that's where the interest is going to come from in in this group because Palmeiras have just been yeah so ridiculously good um i mean yes we might say that they are flat track bullies here and we've seen them get through the group stage in in the past uh, um with with ease and then sort of tighten up shop as, as they get through to the to the knockout so it's going to be interesting to see whether this marks a, a change in tactic for, for later and and then one player i think we do need to really give some credit to is is rafael navarro six goals in um, in the two games, and I think he was only a substitute in the in the first game as well. So less than um, 180 minutes of football, and he's already got six goals for the 21 year old. And he's just yeah, so exuberant with his celebrations. He seems to be absolutely loving it. I mean, Mike, how how impressed have you been by by him? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously off to a great start. It's hard to. Um... It's hard to gauge. I don't see too much of the Brazilian league. Um, obviously, not kicked off um, probably yet. So, no, um, he's this game against uh, Petrolero is um, <laughs> as the goal. They seem to capitulate as as you'd expect after such a great a great start to worry uh, Palmeiras to get in the sort of take the lead and go into half time at one all. But they absolutely destroyed them in the uh, second half, didn't they? And it was. Uh, it was just um, incredibly uh, professional job, to say the least, from Palmeiras. Yeah, they, they definitely seem to be showing all the signs that have made them champions in, in the last two editions. And yeah, I mean, most, most of his goals seems to come within the six-yard box. But he's a player that I didn't really know anything about before this tournament. And he did well for Botafogo in, in the second division, but he's, he's slotted in really nicely there. And, and I mean, also Rafael Vega with two absolute beauties. And I think probably my favourite moment of that uh, that route against uh, Petrolero was was Ronnie doing his uh, backflip black uh, backflip celebration when it was six uh, one. I think well, it was like, is it really necessary to be getting that excited when you when you've already smashed them? But uh, yeah, definitely interesting to see who um, goes through in second place. I think in the, in this group, and uh, it's there for anyone to take. Um, so, yeah, we've seen Palmeiras get off to a good start and their fellow Brazilian heavyweights, Flamengo, have also got a maximum six points from the first two games in Group H. And then this is another group where both of our guests have got a, a horse in the race with Universidad Católica getting one over Sporting Cristal 2-1 with a last-minute penalty. Adam, what did you make of this game? Well, first you have to say what a great refereeing performance in this game. I'm sure Mike will agree with me there. Um, <laughs> seriously speaking, um, I was delighted that Catholica came out of this with a win because I was seriously worried beforehand that pretty much their hopes of getting out of this Libertadores group would have been completely over by the end of this 90 minutes um, because of the form they've been on under Pellucci. Um, he Pellucci has been sacked. Um, that came out last night. We're recording this pod on Tuesday, 19th April. He 
Colucci was sacked after yet another defeat in the league at seven defeats in the last nine matches overall for Pellucci. And yeah, he's he's gone now. Um, but possibly by the next uh, game, which is against Flamengo, um, Catolica will just have an interim manager in charge for that. I've, I've got Colo Colo at the weekend, actually, in a much, uh, much anticipated match here in Chile. Um, so yeah, big week coming up for for Catolica um, with a new manager on the horizon and, and two massive games as well. Um, as for this match against Sporting Cristal, I thought it was um, uh, they did just about enough, but obviously with with the help of the referee um, at the end, giving them a very fortunate penalty for a handball, which uh, it looks like it might not have even touched the the Cristal player really on on the hand um, and San Pedri converted it for the injury time winner um, the game was lit up in the first half by Marcelino Nunez's uh, superb volley from about 35 yards out um, unstoppable shot um, and that is about the first good thing that he's done this season and <laughs> um, it's it's been it's it's been very odd. I, I I if somebody asked me what Nunez's strengths were at the start of this year, among them I would say sort of his consistency. Pretty much since he's been in the Catolica side, he's a player who's always sort of been seven out of ten at, at the very least. But so far this year, he's he he's just looked a shadow of himself. Really, you know, five out of ten performances pretty much every week and um, yeah it's been very strange and that's obviously contributed to Katolika's poor form because he's such a key player in their midfield he's the one they rely on for a lot of the dynamism amongst their play so yeah it's uh, it'd be very interesting to see if he can regain his form when the new manager comes in Um, there's rumours that Holland might be coming back, which would be fantastic news if it is. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, we we have to wait and see how that one develops. But yeah, overall, I was uh, I was pretty happy Catolica got out of this with three points because Sporting Cristal certainly caused them problems. Certainly in the second half, when um, yeah, when uh, when Sporting Cristal made a couple of changes and. And yeah, it was a yeah, it was certainly a game that um, could have easily been a draw, or even a Sporting Cristal win. Uh, I'm sure Mike has plenty to say on that as well. Yeah, Mike. So, I mean, I, certainly from the the couple of games that I've seen Cristal, I don't think they've been too too bad um, at all. I mean, again, they're another Peruvian side now with a with a bit of an uphill struggle. You know, what have you made of their games, and what do they need to do to to get back into this group? Yeah, I mean they've like uh, like Adam said the uh, yeah the penalty was um, uh, a tough one to take um, from that that call and but yeah you can't um, you can't really um, deal with uh, Nunez's shot that was uh, that was an absolute worldie and uh, completely unstoppable and to go in needing to yeah to come back from that um, I thought that well, Cristal did quite well considering. I mean, they came, they came into this game after a losing 2-0 at home to Cesar Vallejo um, in the, uh, away, sorry, in the league. And Cesar Vallejo had two men sent off in the first half and Cristal just couldn't break them down and conceded a second. Um, they just they just seemed to be having in a difficult run of form and just things weren't going really for them. They were, so when they came into this game, they were, they were battling away and it was an even enough game from us. From, from Arsenal's perspective here. Um, obviously, when Nunez's goal goes in, we had some chances come forward. Percy Lisa had a um, had a header in the box after about just before um, uh, the equaliser, which you you would be hoping he would convert. He's a young striker here who's there's a lot of hope for him. Um, is uh, part of the Peruvian national team in the future, um, but he's just not really got going this year, and there's. Just been issues of like trying to work out the best way to play with uh, play with him because he started off as a winger in the academy. He seems more suited to being like a central forward. Um, 
But again, like Ali answer, like Christelle seems to be not a hundred percent sure how they want to be playing, and there's there's just there's little tweaks each week and um, trying to find the right system and. They just needed to do that before before this uh, group stage. Really, they needed to be more settled. And unfortunately, they unfortunately they weren't. Um, so yeah, it puts them in a very difficult position going into the game with like needing a win against Tayares. Really, um, so um, they put in a good shift again against Flamengo. I thought made it very difficult for Flamengo in the game beforehand. Um, it sort of had a like a good fair share of possession. Made some good chances. And the the goals from um, Flamengo were just really really well worked team goals. I thought um, that sort of came um, came at different ends of the game. But it's it was again it's, it's one of those things from proving football. I, I think each each time we come into a Libertadores, it's like oh we're quite happy we're playing well, but the the points aren't ever <laughs> they just seem that little bit too far out of reach. Yeah, no, I mean a, a pretty tough group. I, I would say. To, to get out of with Flamengo, as you say, looking pretty pretty decent. You know, the same guys doing the business, Gary Gold, Darius Guetta, Bruno Enrique, Everton Rueda, all those players, we've seen them light up this tournament. And, you know, in the two games that they've played, they've, they've looked pretty decent and, and are going to be one of the, the favourites. But maybe there is a bit of hope against Talleres but because they're, you know, they're, they're really struggling in the league. I mean, I was very surprised that they got that win against Catolica maybe maybe got them at a good time and, and they've really missed Diego Valoges, um even if Fertili and um, Girotti as well have, have done all right for them so I mean I think there's um, going to be plenty Mate, still to play Catolica, for um, Catolica made Girotti look like a world-class striker in that game I, I was just shaking my head throughout it like Oh, they, Paz especially, um, the Catolica centre-back, were just completely dominated by him for, for 90 minutes. Oh, it, was, uh, it was painful to watch, to be honest, that game. Um, but yeah, I, I felt, I remember your words before it on this pod that you thought that was a very winnable game for Catolica. And honestly, watching it, I do agree with you. It was just that, Catolica is so short on confidence and yeah as you mentioned there it was just a good time to play them really if, if that was a yeah if that was a Catolica from just sort of a few months ago um, when they were on a really good run you know I think Catolica probably would have won that easily but yeah it's uh yeah um it'd be it could be a big result in the group still that for for Tavares. Yeah, quite possible. I think yeah, you're looking at two sides that, as you said, if you if they played against each other six months ago or twelve months ago, even, you know, they were completely you know different sides. The fact that both changing their managers and still struggling, and that, and that's why I do think there's still that glimmer of hope for Cristal. If if, if things don't click for either Talleres or, or Catolica, then then they could be able to get something out there. Although it is a bit of a, a, a tough challenge, I, I would say. Um, Mike, so, um, sorry, before we move on, I just wanted to ask Mike, um, maybe I missed it, but I'm not sure he mentioned it. I, I was just wondering why, or has there been sort of much reaction in Peru as to why the Peruvian international, Joshua Marge Yudlin, hasn't been starting for Cristal in these two games? So Because when he came on, you know, the, the panorama of that, game against Catolica completely changed. He controlled the midfield pretty much as soon as he came on. Yeah, I mean, he was brought in for this, really. He's only on a six-month contract um, after um, leaving Cruz Azul and Liga MX. Um But he was in, in um, he had an injury for the Flamengo game, um, which is why he, he didn't feature in that. And he didn't, uh, and it just wasn't fully fit, unfortunately, uh, it seems. So rather than giving him the start and trying to um, trying to get a foothold in the game from the start. He was just left on the bench to then come on and see what he could see what he could contribute afterwards. And unfortunately they were um, I think when he came on already down um, down by the goal. So it's it's disappointing. It's again it's another one of these things where he's trying to work out uh, Mosquera and the manager. He's brought in a lot of midfielders um 
So Leandro Souza um, played in this game where you, you'd have preferred to have Yotun, um, really. He came in um, in the game this weekend and in a high-scoring 6-4 win over uh, Deportivo Municipal wow. um, here. <laughs> um, yeah, he came in and was a big part of um, everything going forward. Him and um, Canchita uh, Gonzalez, the um, other Peruvian international. Yeah, ex-Colo Colo. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's he's um, having so like it's some of the best football he's ever played at the moment. Um, Ganchito, he's been in great form, and having Yotun um, in that midfield with him, and Jesus Castillo has been fantastic as sort of that that anchor, so that it gives um, Yotun and Ganchito uh, a little bit more freedom to move. So when we got those three playing together and Calcaterra in there, he's we seem to move to like a sort of a, more of a four. Sort of four three one two now. So Avalar and Lisa are like strikers with a bit of freedom to move, uh, and then relying on some of the, the fullbacks pushing forward. But yeah, it's just a, it's just a frustration of him not being one hundred percent fit. Um, if he was, he, he's a, he's an obvious starter, um, and yeah, a, a class act when he's playing. But hopefully, hopefully, he can be in there and really affect the game against Tayares. Definitely. It's those fine margins that can make all the difference in the group stage. And uh, moving on to Group C, we saw a classic Libertadores clash between four times champions Estudiantes and three times champions Nacional. And of course, in time-honoured fashion, they drew nil-nil. Absolute peak Libertadores right there. But jokes aside, this is one of the more interesting groups that we've got um, with Estudiantes top with four points. Bragantino just behind on goal difference, and then Nacional and Vélez with one point each. Estudiantes, despite that nil-nil draw, have, have been banging the goals in lately um, in, in all their other games. 5-0 against uh, Central Córdoba, 6-1 against Baracas Central, and they beat Vélez 4-1 in the opener. Adam or Mike, uh, either of you got any thoughts on, on Estudiantes', uh, Estudiantes chances and, and generally how you think this group is going to play out? Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised at how well Estudiantes are doing, to be honest. Um, obviously, I saw quite a lot of them in the, in the qualifying rounds against Audax Italiano and uh, Everton, the two Chilean sides that they knocked out. Now, against Audax, they were only minutes away from a penalty shootout there, um, and that was against an Audax side that had you know, quite a few players out and uh, and weren't in the best of best of form and had created sort of the the clearest chances in, in both legs of that tie um, against Everton. They, I have to say, they were they were a little bit more impressive. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't think they would be a side that um, would necessarily get through to the knockout stages of the competition. Although I think that this group, you know, is, isn't the easiest, but isn't the toughest at the same time. You know, they avoided a lot of the really big names by getting sort of national as the top seed in the group. Um, obviously national are a big name, but you know, the, the ones that you would expect to be sort of seriously competing for the title, the, you know, the top, um, Argenti- the top Argentine and Brazilian clubs, for example. So, yeah, I, I still fancy um, Bragan- Bragantino to, to top this group. That's the team that I thought would would probably top this group before the you know once the once the draw was made. Uh, they're a pretty interesting team there in, in Brazil, sponsored by Red Bull, of course. And um, yeah, and. Uh, I'm still hopeful that Vélez can can come out this group as well. Although, yeah, that was a pretty poor performance against the uh, Studiantes in in the first game. But yeah, still time for them to turn it around. What have you made of Vélez so far? So yeah, Vélez have again a bit like Talleres. If you'd asked me six months ago, I thought I would have said yeah, they've got a really good chance of doing well in this tournament. But they've got rid of uh, Pellegrino um, and generally are in a bit. of flux at the moment um, I thought they were better against uh, Brangantino and, and probably should have won that game They, um, I think Brangantino rode their luck a little bit um, in that fellas game but um, yeah they're, they're not quite at it and, and again it's just giving a, a massive opportunity for, for some of the other teams to, to get through there when 
yeah, a while ago, I would have, I would have plumped for them to, to sort of top this group. Um, Orishano, probably the the one bright spot there. His set pieces have been really, really dangerous, and he's taking up the mantle now that Almada's left. But um, yeah, I think they're probably leaving themselves with a bit to do, but they're, they're certainly capable of, of challenging these sides. As you say, it's I think one of the reasons why it's so interesting is because they're all good sides, but none of them, you know, are, are the giants or the favourites to win this. So you could really see anyone going through and and his, his Estudiantes have definitely made a good start there. I mean, to be fair, you know, Nacional could have could have quite easily um, got something out of that game. You know, they missed that penalty. Um, they're just really struggling in, in front of goal. I think they're m- missing Bejesio up front. Um, Rochette's been been very good. Um, not been uh, doing too many goal line um <laughs> controversial things like it for the national team but uh, he's, he's come up with some big saves as well um a- any thoughts on this at all mike yeah i think like like you guys are saying it's, it's a nicely competitive group which i think has really helped estudiantes with like letting the sides almost like control possession and seem to just hit them on the break i think they've had like just over 30 percent possession or something in both games so it's they seem to be benefiting from the fact that they've got other sides that look like they're they they feel they should be qualifying, but they're not sides that are so big, like Adam says, like the top Brazilian and Argentine sides. So I think if they can continue in this in this vein, then obviously they'll they'll key they'll be able to go through. Um, Nacional, like you say, just struggling in front of goal, and it'd be interesting to see Estudiantes and uh, Bragantino um, to see how how um, how they cope with. Um, being able, whether they'll be able to let Bragantino have the ball and try and hit them on the break. Um, off to a great start. I mean, it's, it, Italo has got three goals in both games after sort of bouncing around Brazilian football for a while. I think he's only ever had one season with double-figured uh, goals, but he's off to a decent start this time, this season for them. Yeah, definitely one of the, the better performers in this early stage. And, and um, yeah, along with some of that uh, Estudiantes front line who are also, I think, giving them that little extra edge um, than they've had in previous years. Um, so go, moving on to an, another tight group, probably the tightest group of the tournament so far, with everyone on three points in Group E. Deportali getting up, Deportali, uh, Deportivo Cali getting off to a surprise victory against Boca and always ready, making their home advantage count with a 2-0 win over Corinthians. Um, Mike, I'll come back to you. What I mean, what do you make of this kind of crazy classic Libertadores group? Yeah, like it was. Um, he's got all the. Um, it's got all the ingredients for uh, always ready to really like put a spanner in the works for everyone else getting there with their sort of home games and being being involved from the off and then Cali taking points off uh, Boca. So it's it's. I think you're going into that. You're you're expecting the Brazilians and the Argentines to to be topping that group, but. Uh, Cali getting a great a great win against them, like um, to be able to do that, and they'll go to Bolivia and while well, Boca play Corinthians, they could still be quite up there as part of that uh, as part of that top two as they go into the next group of games. So definitely a tough one to a uh, tough one to judge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think that Boca defeat away to Deportes. Deportivo Cali is one of the most significant results of Libertadores so far. I think that could prove very costly for Boca in this group when you look at how it could shake out. Still, they're, they're almost certainly going to need to get something away to Corinthians or, or always ready. You feel so? Yeah, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Um, how how it how it does shake out in the end, uh, but yeah, I can certainly see maybe a bit of a shock here with uh, with either Boca or Corinthians possibly exiting um, at a group stage. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised either because you know neither of them have looked at their best, no. and neither of them are sides that typically you know play attractive, <laughs> um, free flowing football either. So you know the fact I think Corinthians have have only um, scored one goal and, and that was an own goal. So they haven't even put the ball in the net themselves yet. And Boca, this 
so much off the field drama going on with Eduardo Salvio running over his his wife with his car. Um, and Almendra playing in the reserves was one of the better players last year. Last year, Zabajos is is maybe one of the, the few bright spots there. But yeah, there's there's definitely plenty um, of of scope here for for a bit of an upset, and especially with always ready relying on that home form. And if if they can take you know get get three wins there, then and then you know even if they're not getting through themselves, they could potentially be kingmakers for the, for the other team. So. Yeah, very, very interesting group to follow. Um, and talking of interesting groups, then Group D is also pretty um, interesting with Independiente del Valle and Atletico Mineiro heading up the group with four points each with Tolima and America Mineiro um, on one point each. Um, but two draws this week shows there's, there's still plenty to play for. Um, Adam, how, how do you think um, IDV have, have done so far? Have, have you been impressed by them? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's it's been a couple of odd games for them so far. So, yeah, against America, they were possibly a little bit fortunate to win it. Although, although I felt that it was a performance of a team that maybe you would see typically of sort of a very experienced sort of Brazilian or Argentina or Argentine side away in the Lippard stories, you know, and I think that just goes to show, you know, just how many years of experience they've got under their belt now in this competition. You know, they took their chances when they came. Solid 2-0 win away from home to kick off the group. And, uh, yeah, it was an impressive start without them being near their best at all in, in that one. Um, I thought in the second game they actually played uh, much better and, and they dominated Tolima for pretty much 90 minutes. Um, they had an incredible 31 shots, although only nine of those were on target. Um, and it was one of those games you were watching and just kind of laughing at the same time because for all their dominance, Tolima had these counter-attacks which always looked dangerous. Um, so, yeah, and they found themselves 2-0 down at half-time. Um to, to Lima and uh, yeah, it was uh, a sending off right on right on half time that sort of gave them the first little glimpse of hope of getting back into the game. And uh, Sonasa, yeah, he he managed to to grab a goal just after half time with a nice finish, and then yeah, he got a penalty late on to make it two two, and you know that quite a few minutes of injury time is coming. Um, for, for sort of various reasons obviously Talima were doing a fair bit of time wasting in the second half and you're thinking there's only going to be one winner here type scenario but in the end it was Talima who had the chance to win it the big big chance to win it um, and uh, and yeah it was uh, it was it was put it was put wide I think it was Luis Miranda who had come on as a substitute who who went through on goal took it round the goalkeeper he was quite far out though, but he still hit what was a pretty decent shot from where he was, and it hit the inside of the post and, and bounced out. And that was right in front of the Talima fans, who who had travelled in quite decent numbers. So that was the other nice thing about this game, with it being in Independiente de Valle's kind of new stadium. It's like nice, tight, and compact, and there was like a pretty nice atmosphere in there with um, yeah a decent set of supports from both sides so yeah it was a this was a really enjoyable watch um idv pretty dominant throughout but with the constant kind of fear of the talima counter-attack to deal with as well and uh, and yeah either side could have won it in injury time and talima actually came the closest in the end but yeah in in a way it was kind of a fair result for given that Talima had to play half of it with uh, with 10 men. But yeah, I think uh, IDV will be pretty upset given the amount of dominance they had over this game, but they didn't make it two wins out of two in this group. Yeah, definitely one of the most entertaining games that uh, from that previous round. And, and Sornosa, as, as you mentioned, has been the shining light for them so far. That touch for the goal against America as well was, was absolutely beautiful. And he's, he's one of these players that you know, looked when he was younger as if he could go on and, and maybe do bigger things. But he's, you know, a classic Luis Torres player, and he's he's 
coming up with the with the goals. So yeah, definitely definitely an interesting uh, one. And, and Tolima, as you said, you know, but for that chance at the end, or maybe not getting that red card, could have could have done better in this game. And and now they kind of need maximum points over America if they're going to stand a chance of of getting out of the group. Mike, um, we've we've seen Atletico Mineiro do enough, but maybe not quite be as impressive as some of the other big Brazilian uh, teams in this competition so far. Um, have you had any thoughts about, you know, maybe why they're not performing at the, the, the as high as we've maybe expected them to? Or, you know, is it just because they've got a pretty tough group here? I think it's a mix of, it's a, it's a decent group. They got off to a good start winning in Colombia. Um, I guess it's just the timing really, isn't it? Getting, getting themselves properly started in the year. I think it's sometimes if you've got particularly sort of aggressive sides, which in the, like on the, on, on the opposite side, Palmeiras haven't and can take this quite, um, quite a little bit more comfortably. Um, Minero have got sides that, um, Tolima will attack and attack and attack at them. It's all very fast paced, IDV as well. So it's, I, I think they're one of those ones that are going to slowly just grow into this, grow into the um, competition. They won't, may not look um, dominant in these um, early group stage games, but um, I, I think as they go on, they'll be picking up points, maybe not spectacularly, but they'll be coming away looking a little bit more comfortable, I'd imagine. Um, as the games go on, it's it's up to IDV, really, isn't it? The next game to try and put them under as much pressure as possible um, to to um, see how they go. Because I got that draw against America, didn't they, um, Minero, um, in the last game? So, but yeah, I think I, I think it's just a they're just easing themselves in to a degree. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think you can sometimes overanalyze the group stage, and uh, and as you said, if they're saving themselves for, for their later rounds and if, if they've at least had some challenges they're going to be better placed than maybe some of these teams that have not had to, to, to break a sweat getting through the group stage um, definitely worth checking out that golazo from Felipe Acevedo in, in that uh, Mineiro uh, local Mineiro clash albeit not the, the big Mineiro derby but still a derby nonetheless and then uh, finally, let's finish up with Group B. We, we don't need to talk about it for too much time because it's probably one of the the less interesting uh, groups at, there at the moment. Libertad and Atletico Paranaense with four points each at the top there with Caracas and the strongest um, with one each. I mean, Libertad, you can't have the Libertadores without Libertad, really. Um, and, they, and they've had a, a good league form apart from being pumped by Serra recently 4-0. A little bit surprising that we haven't seen more of uh, Enciso, who's, who's been on absolutely sensational form. But, um, you know, Oscar Barroso is still having a, a lovely time out there, which is good to see. Any, anyone got any thoughts on this group? Uh, it seems to be, yeah, like you say, the top two seem to be the uh, seem to be the ones who will be coming away in that in those top spaces, I thought. I thought Caracas played pretty well um, against Libertad in the last game. Um, like goalkeeper kept them in the game really well. Some really nice saves. Oh, lost Mike. They could have had quite uh, could have had a few more um, uh, Libertad on on other days. So I think to put them under pressure and away from home, um, Caracas did did quite well. It was a great save. I think it was uh, Malini um, had a nice touch in a volley, which. Um, was, could be looping over the uh, Caracas goalie. He made a good save from that. Um, but yeah, the other two dominant. I mean, Paranaense haven't conceded yet, um, and Libertad seem to be sort of the dominant side, don't they? Um, in the in the games they've had. Yeah, and the strongest. We're just not seeing enough Rodrigo Amaral. That is that is my one thing to say about them. So uh, with two games gone things are starting to heat up a little bit and next week uh, the Libertadores will resume um, with some interesting ties I think Corinthians versus Boca is, is obviously a big standout there and, and one that we already mentioned before there Independiente del Valle versus Atletico Mineiro as well so that wraps things up for today um, Mike where can people find you on social media and, and anything to plug 
Uh, you can find me at, at Mike Rice nineteen eighty-three on Twitter. Um, and uh, you can um, check out the uh, April Waltz um, Twitter page as well. We'll be uh, uh, having a look at uh, how the Peruvian sides are doing in the Libertadores as well as domestically and in the Sudamericana. And, and Adam, anything, uh, well, where can people find you on social media and anything to plug? Yeah, uh, you can find me um, at AdamBrandon84. I do have a couple of things in the work, but I don't want to overpromise anything at this point. <laughs> because I never know how much time I'm actually going to have to complete them. Although I am hoping to get to uh, Colo Colo River Plate um, via accreditation next week, or uh, or even maybe just as a paying uh, spectator, I'll try and get there either way. Um, but yeah, and if I do, then I hope to maybe write something on that as well. So yeah, uh, that's everything from me. Yeah, we'll definitely look forward to that. Another of the big, big games coming up. And then you can also find me on Twitter at TomRobert89 for all things South American football as well. And so, yeah, once again, a big thanks to our guests and all our listeners. And be sure to follow the World Football Next on social media for all the latest.